came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out with, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass that when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it onto him, and he sat upon it. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our study begins in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, and Dr. Mitchell gives us a short review of previous lessons and then begins in verse 8. And here, Moses writes about the very first war the children of Israel encounter. Moses is on the mountain, interceding for Joshua, who is in the valley, fighting the battle with the Amalekites. Dr. Mitchell makes mention of the conflicts the Christian has with his enemies and the Lord Jesus also interceding for us. Now, after Joshua's victory, Moses builds an altar. He names it Jehovah Nisi. That is, Jehovah is my banner, my standard. The Lord is my healer, Jehovah Rapha, is also found in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. And there are many other names of the Lord found in the scriptures. With teaching on Christ's intercession on our behalf, let's open our Bible to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 with Dr. Mitchell on the unchanging word, Bible broadcast. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and we're continuing our studies in the book of Exodus, and we're in chapter 17. You remember in chapter 15, you have the song of victory. In chapter 14, uh, they were delivered from Egypt through the Red Sea. Chapter 15, you have the song of victory, the song of redemption. In chapter 16, they cried for bread, give us bread, and God sent, rained them bread from heaven. And for 40 years he fed them on heavenly food, perfect food. No diseases, no need for doctors. God took care of them. Chapter 17, the smidgen rock and the war with Amalek. Then chapter 18, we have a really a millennial scene. Starting in at chapter, at chapter 19 and right on through, we have the... Uh, the giving of the law and the building of the tabernacle. But I'm just following through the history of Israel right through chapter 18. Now in chapter 17, in our last lesson, we were dealing with a smitten rock. Now let me just say one, one or two further words concerning this. 
I'm repeating it, really. In chapter 16, they said, give us bread. So he gave them bread from heaven. He said, give us water. And God gave them water for the smitten rock. And remember again, they're in a wilderness where there's no water and there's no bread. There's no covering. They're shut up entirely to God. Did God bring them out into the wilderness to die? Of course not. Then why, why didn't he take them right into Canaan the moment they came out of Egypt? No. No, he tells us why. In fact, there are two reasons why. One is, when they faced war, they would run because they were a race of slaves. And there would be no match for the Canaanites who were warlike. He took them into the desert. Why? That he might reveal to them their own frailty and his power. And again, I repeat, my friend, it's in the wilderness with God. That's where he reveals his presence. That's where he manifests his love and his power. And every test is an open door for the manifestation of his wonderful grace. Oh, how, how we are like Israel. How quickly it is for us to murmur. They were not satisfied with the bread from heaven. I wonder if you and I are satisfied with what God has given to us. You see, God has given to us a new life, but that new life must be nourished on the Word of God. We're not left alone in that. Chapter 17, the smitten rock, not only speaks of the death of our Lord for us, as you have it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the fourth verse, that rock which followed them was Christ but also speaks of the giving of the Spirit of God. After the death and resurrection of our Lord, we have the Spirit of God given to all believers, life-giving water. Our Lord spoke of this, and I'm repeating it. He spoke of this in John chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 14. And he speaks of it again in John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. That last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, shouted out, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall roll rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Spirit was not yet given, because he was not yet glorified. And remember again, may I remind you, the Bible never allows for the second smiting of the rock. In Numbers 20, Moses smote the rock again, came under the judgment of God. Christ died just once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. He did a perfect work at the cross. Not 99%. He did 100%. He absolutely, perfectly satisfied the righteous, holy character of God. And that's why God has given to us a personal testimony. He raised his son from the dead and set him at his own right hand to be a prince and a savior from the cross to the throne. And now he's meeting the needs of his people. Can I, can I again repeat something I've said before on this radio? The riches of grace proceed from the cross. Sinners, we need, need the grace of God. So we come to the cross and the grace of God is sufficient to not only put away our sins, but to fit us for the presence of God. See? But the riches of glory proceed from the throne. 
And as Paul could say in Philippians 4, 19, My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Riches of glory proceed from the throne. Riches of grace proceed from the cross. Christ just died once for us. All my present need as a Christian is met by the Lord Jesus Christ who is on the throne. I hope I've made myself very clear on this. Now we come to the rest of the chapter. And notice what it says in verse 8. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men, and go out with, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass that when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and they took a stone and put it onto him, and he sat upon it. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side, the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah my banner. And he said, Because the Lord has sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now you notice this is the first, first battle since they left Egypt. And you'll notice, please, Israel did not seek out Amalek. Amalek sought out Israel. And the battle was fought led by Joshua in the desert and, and Moses praying on the mountain. Now remember, they've already gone through. The rock has been smitten. They've drank living water. Then came Amalek and fought with Israel. You see, the first time after the Red Sea, you have separation from their enemies, from their world, and the first battle out of Egypt is with the flesh. Now remember that Amalek was the grandson of Esau. You find this in Genesis chapter 36. By the way, may I inject right here, Exodus 17, the rock was smitten, followed by war with Amalek, who was the son of Esau. He was an Edomite. When you come to Numbers 20, Moses smote the rock again, and that is followed by opposition from Edom, the descendants of Esau. In other words, shall I put it this way, the first battle for a Christian, after he becomes a Christian, is with the flesh. There's no conflict until light comes. There's no conflict when all is in darkness. But after we have received the Spirit of God, we come into conflict. This is true. Again, I say it's true. 
Many a person has had very little trouble in their lives. Then they accept the Savior. They become a child of God, and they have problems. They have problems. But may I remind you of Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. You remember that in, he says in the preceding verse, where Paul says to the Galatian church, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh desireth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so you can't do what you could. Take Romans chapter 7, the same problem, a conflict. Paul says, when I want to do good, evil is present with me. I want to go here, and behold, I go someplace else. I want to do this, instead of that, I do something else. And you've got conflict. In fact, when you come to the end of chapter 7 of Romans, he cries out, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Then he answers, I thank my God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So you have this question. We have a real battle. And by the way, may I suggest again, we have three implacable enemies. The moment you and I accept the Savior, we have three tremendous enemies. We've got the world, we have the flesh, and we have the devil. It's always the Father in opposition to the world. It's always the Holy Spirit in opposition to the flesh. It's always the Savior in opposition to the devil. And these are never interchanged. It's an amazing thing as you go into the Bible, as you go into the Word of God, how exact the Spirit of God is. And please don't tamper with the Word of God. You may not understand all the Word of God, but don't tamper with it. Don't let unbelief come in there and rob you of the power of God and the grace of God and the tenderness of Christ. See? So I repeat it, there's no conflict until after life has come. You see, the unsaved man, the, the man who's not a Christian, he doesn't know a thing about spiritual conflict. He doesn't know a thing about it. He's in the dark. So I read here, in the end of verse 7, it, they question the Lord. Is the Lord among us or not? Is he among us or not? Then came Amalek and fought with Israel and rapid him. Now again, I repeat it. The Amalekites came and sought out Israel. Israel did not seek out Amalek. You don't have to worry, my friend. The moment you accept the Savior, you're going to have tests and trials. And you're going to have it from the flesh. And you'll have it from the world. And you'll have it from the devil. There's no question about that. Then came Amalek. You see, the Egyptians hindered Israel from leaving Egypt. And Egypt speaks of the world. But the Amalekites hindered them walking with God. Shall I repeat that? The Egyptians hindered them from leaving Egypt. And Egypt is the world. We've got opposition. We want to keep us in the world. But the Amalekites, these are fleshly relations of Israel. See, the Amalekites are descendants of Esau, who's Esau, brother of Jacob. Fleshly relations. Sought out Israel. And by the way, may I say, it was the unbelief of Israel that exposed them to Amalek when they said, Is the Lord among us or not? 
Now, let me just say a word about this question of Amalek. Speaking of the flesh, Amalek was not allowed in the congregation of God's people. The Edomites had no place among God's people. They were always the enemies of God's people. That's why when you come to Habakkuk chapter 2, or is that in Malachi chapter 1? Malachi chapter 1, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. When was that written? Hundreds of years, possibly, possibly nearly uh, 2,000 years, at least 1,500 years, if not more, from Esau on down through. And the history of the Edomites was one of absolute opposition to the things of God. They were idolaters, and they hated the people of God. And it was written, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Jacob loved and wanted the things of God. In spite of his frailty, he wanted the things of God, but not Esau, not Edom. Now, you remember, you remember King Saul. King Saul was, was told of God to get rid of the Amalekites. You find that in the 15th chapter of Samuel. But he didn't. He didn't kill them all. Well, you take it in the book of Esther, which, by the way, is the last time we read of an Amalekite. We have Haman was slain. He's the last of the Amalekites in Scripture. And God declares in the 16th verse of this, Exodus 6, 17, that God is going to declare perpetual war with Amalek, and he's going to put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And the only way to get rid of the flesh is by the word of God. Joshua fought them with the sword and by the intercession of Moses up the mountain. Now let's look at it for a moment. You see, up to the present time, God had fought for them. Everything... They needed God supplied. They, 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 had, they hadn't done a thing. They hadn't done a thing. All they did was to obey God, to provide the lamb, kill the lamb, apply the blood, delivered out of Egypt, delivered from death, delivered from judgment, delivered from Egypt. They were delivered through the Red Sea. He fed them. He watered them. He cared for them. All they had to do was to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now you've got a different proposition now. Now, choose us out men. Go out and fight Amalek. Choose us out men. You see, Christ finished the work for us alone. He did the whole business. Sin, death, the grave are already conquered, but the war with the flesh goes on. And how shall we have the victory over the flesh? Well, we have two things here. First of all, we ask here, the Spirit of God indwells us to guarantee that victory. And we do not fight uncertainly. Let me get this thing very clear to your mind. There's no uncertainty about this business. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 to 5, Paul says, The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of every imagination, every thought, that's in opposition to God. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. You take 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 57. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or you take Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. We don't even know how to praise we ought. 
spirit helpeth our infirmities. He makes, he prays for us with groanings that can't be uttered. And he who knoweth the mind of the spirit knoweth what we have need of. For he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So you got two things stands out. In fact, three things stand out in the passage. You've got conflict. You have intercession of Moses. And you have the sword of Joshua. You see, Christ for us on high guarantees victory. The Holy Spirit in us down here gives us the deliverance. We have real dependence on one hand through subjection to the Word of God on the other. See? And I want to keep this very, very clear in your mind. God didn't call us to this conflict. It's the unbelief of the people that exposed them to Amalek. And we are told to abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You see, in regeneration, God does not make us over. He doesn't take the old and make it, he doesn't patch us up. He, he comes with a new, we have a new man, we have a new nature. But we've also got some conflict with the old. That's why I say in Galatians 5, 17, the flesh desires against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. So you can't do the thing you want to do. The flesh exists in every believer and will be until we're changed. And thank God the time's coming when we're going to be changed. As Paul said, if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. The body is under the sentence of death because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he who raised up Christ from the dead shall also make alive your mortal, spirit, your mortal body by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. You see, you see, sin is in the believer. The unsaved man is in sin. And I want to get this clear in your mind. The Lord's death for us gives us life gives us peace. But his living in, in us, in you and me, gives us power and gives us victory. And again, may I say, depend upon the intercession of our Savior. You know, when I think of this picture, here is Moses up in the mountain. Here's Joshua down the valley. Joshua's fighting the Malachites with his sword. Moses on the mountaintop praying, interceding. And when his hands fell down, when he stopped praying, Amalek prevailed. When his hands were held up in prayer, Israel prevailed. And so they propped his hands up. How was the battle won? Through the intercession of Moses on the mountainside, the sword of Joshua in the valley. How about us? The intercession of our Savior on the throne. Hebrews 7, 25, wherefore he is able to save perfectly all those who come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Never gets tired praying for us. Isn't that wonderful? He never stops praying for us. Never gets tired. Oh, you and I get tired. Believe me, do. You get on your knees to pray and you fall asleep. Or oh, everything under heaven goes through your head. Not so with our Savior. He's praying. Do you remember? Christ on the throne is praying for us in glory. And the Spirit of God in us is praying for us down here. 
And then he's given to us something to use. Although he never gets tired praying for us, he's also given to us the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, which you have, of course, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. I'll speak of this more later in our next lesson, but I want it to be very clear in your mind. I want it very, very clear in your mind, O oh, believer in Christ. To me, it's a wonderful thing that we have a Savior on the throne today, no longer on a cross, but on the throne. And what is he doing? Praying for you, praying for me. Intercedes for us in our frailty. Advocates our case when we sin. Indeed, we have a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I just plead with your heart today to walk with him. Enjoy him. Revel in him. He's the Savior, and we are the objects of his wonderful, wonderful grace. And may the Lord bless you today for his name's sake. He was there all the time. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.